HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. Bobby, once again, joining us for the intro. This is very special. I am so happy to be here with you, my mother. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Hi. This was a special episode. This was goes back to our history. It really was a special episode. Um, it was very emotional. I feel like I hit it pretty well, but I cried through a decent portion of it. Me too. Um, you did. Yeah, I heard yes. your sniffling. Yeah. Um, on today's show, we are speaking with my uh, high school slash college boyfriend, um, Ryan Augusta, Chef Ryan Augusta. Um, Ryan is a very accomplished chef now who in the past couple years has had two pretty extreme battles with head and neck, with tongue and neck cancer and gone through chemotherapy, radiation, surgery. Um, he joins us to talk about the experience and his loss of taste uh, as a result of chemotherapy and his family and his relationship with food. I, this episode just like really blew my mind. I said it in the episode, but his, his ability to storytell was just so engaging and so beautiful. Yeah. He, he really was a very thoughtful, is a very, very thoughtful man and unbelievably determined. I, what I was most impressed with was, um, how his determination and his love for, for not just food, but for being a chef yeah. carried him through. It really carried him through this uh, harrowing journey that he had. Well, he was always like that. I remember, when he was in culinary school, when we were teens living together on the Upper West Side in a tiny studio apartment, um, that he would, you know, be so excited, like making these menus and bring them home and show me. And like some people are meant to work in the restaurant business. And I'm not even one of those people. He is one of those people. Yes, he is. He really is. He like, he is a true, tried and true. If you looked up like rest you know service industry professional in the dictionary it would be ryan augusta he, he has like, a tall hat yeah but a but a very look here's the thing though unlike a lot of chefs and people who are maybe like quote meant to be in the restaurant industry he's a kind soul a nice person mm-hmm. yeah um you can hear it it came so through in his uh interview yeah. he's a nice person and it really broke my heart to hear the pain he's been through and you know I mean, no one deserves it, but like, you know, and the people who have 
been special to you in your life and you hear that they've endured such pain and, and struggle, it's really hard. And uh, it really broke my heart. And, and you know, broke- in all our episodes, you know, talking about food, I don't think we ever really talked about the concept of what taste is. And yeah. I found that fascinating Me about too. this interview. Yeah. He really, I just, like, I knew it would be a wonderful episode, but there was just something about the places he took it and the way he had, like, worded it was so honest and so relatable and yes. so visual. And, like, I just was, like, blown away, and I thought it was so beautiful, and, and it was my favorite. I mean, I'm biased because it's someone that I, I've known in my life and, you know, has been yeah. special to me. That but made like, it very special for, for all of us. Yeah, yeah but um, I I don't want to, like, compare, but I will say it was my 100% my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I just felt like I just, I just, the whole thing, like, I want him to be okay. I want him and his family to, like, be able to recover now emotionally. Because and I'm sure that our really listeners hard. are going to feel the same way because it was very heartfelt and you, you just you just love him when you listen to him. Yeah, he's a really sweet, really one of the good guys out there in the yeah. world. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. This was beautiful. I was going to be like, can you come back again? <laughs> but then I'm like, well, what are we talking about? But maybe we can find something, something else to talk about. Maybe he can just be like our, I don't know. We'll find we'll find a way. Um, but Bobby, I love you. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. We're recording this on a Friday, so I hope that the rest of your weekend is peaceful and nice. Thank you. I like You're that welcome. we're peaceful, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I oh, hope that thank you, our listeners, really enjoy this episode. I hope so too, guys. And uh, you know, don't forget if you have some extra time, if you don't mind. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show really helps the show reach more people. If you don't, that's okay, too. We still really love you. And please enjoy our conversation with Chef Ryan Augusta. You guys, this is a very, very special episode today. Now, obviously, all the episodes are special, and we love all our guests, but today we are joined by my high school-slash-college sweetheart and wonderful human, Chef Ryan Augusta. Ryan, so great to have you on the show. Hello. Very nice to join you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's so good to catch up. It's so funny, like... You know, sometimes you don't see somebody or talk to them for a really long time, and then it just feels like an old pair of slippers. Like, as soon as I heard your voice, I was like, oh, my God, it's Ryan. Like, it's just, sometimes you can just pick back up. Yeah. Yeah. What's been going on with you? What have you been, what have you been cooking? What have you been making? We're recording this for anyone who maybe is listening to it late, like, right after Thanksgiving. So what, what is your kind of, what was your Thanksgiving like? My Thanksgiving was crazy at work. Um, I'm luckily during this crazy COVID time to still be working. Um, we did about 210 takeout meals, um, at one of the restaurants. Yeah. So, um, that was intense. A lot of turkeys going out, a lot of stuffing (laughs) to say the least. But, um, (laughs) It was, um, you know, it's it's just with the times and everything, it's just a completely different atmosphere and holiday. You know, it's it's um, it was it was, you know, more of a um, intense, you know, as far as service for us. And then 
I got to be home with my family, which is not really, you know, something I get to do on the holidays. So that was that yeah. was good. Yeah, that's lovely. So where where do you work? I work at uh, Eastwind out in uh, the east end of Long Island. We're like a destination um, wedding and spa venue. We have two restaurants on property, a cafe, um, and a small boutique hotel. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes. I remember Bobby and I were remembering that when we lived together, when we were literally teenagers, not just like when we were teens, we were actually teens, which is so crazy, um, that you were in culinary school then. And like, I, you know, I'm a chef now as well. I had no aspiration of being a chef at all. You were in culinary school. It's so funny that we both ended up chefs. It's, Bobby, do you remember that? Yes. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, you always you know love to cook you always loved food um so there was no surprise there when when i heard that that's um that's the route you went because that's where your heart always was it really was yeah yeah you it know. was yeah and i remember that you used to work at bobby and i were remembering the different places you worked i remember you worked at virgil's barbecue was that your first job? that was cooking that job? was my first cooking job absolutely um got thrown right into the weeds in times square um, oh my God! You know, going to culinary school, working in Times Square, um, living in Manhattan. <laughs> what else could a you know somebody fresh out of high school ask for? So um, <laughs> I know this is really very intense. I remember like I would come meet you after work, and you'd smell like barbecue, <laughs> like very intensely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, so what did you, so you got to spend time with your family. You have a few kids now, right? I do. I have three kids, two boys and uh, my lovely daughter. Um, they are seven, five and two and a half. And they, uh, they keep me on my toes for sure. My lovely wife, uh, Krista, you know, is an amazing mother. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing great. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Where do you yeah. live? Um, I'm still in Northport, back full circle. So, um, you know, my kids are in the same school district I was in. And, um, you know, there's some familiar faces around. But, um, you know, with these trying times, it's it's hard to keep up with, with everybody, you know. And it's hard to see anybody's faces because we're all covered yeah. with masks, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, Rye, you have a really... Um, you know, it was, to be completely honest, really breaking my heart. Like when I first heard about the trauma and, and experiences with your health that you had endured over the years and it just more cutely, like reading your pre, uh, podcast questionnaire that you filled out, like it really, it really, truly, really broke my heart to think of you being in pain and having suffered and especially in the way, and I'm hoping you can kind of tell our listeners a bit about, about what you've been going through over the past couple of years, but being a chef, um, what's, what's happened to you has been extremely trying, I'm sure. So can you yeah. just tell us a little bit about what's, what, what's been happening with you? Absolutely. So, um, it was the spring of 2018. Um, I had a small spot on the underside of my tongue, just nagged, never really went away. Um, got it checked out. You know, I was told, oh, you're young, nothing to worry about. It'll get better. Shave your tooth down. It keeps, you know, irritating it. Um, just over some time, though, I just, you know, wasn't happy with that. And um, actually got a biopsy. And unfortunately, it came back as a cancerous spot on my tongue. 
So again, being a chef, I mean, you know, cancer is one thing, but cancer in your mouth, like that's my livelihood. That's everything, you know? So it was like really, really tough to, to process at first, you know, to really grasp, like the questions just kept coming. Like, you know, obviously the normal questions, you know, that run through your head when you hear the word cancer. But like I said, especially when it's, you know, so close to, everything that you do, you know, everything that you love, everything that you put your, you know, everything into, it was like, it was completely shocking, you know? Um, I can't imagine. I imagine you were kind of going through what they call the stages of grief, you know, like first feeling denial and then all the other feelings that go along with it. What was was. it like when you first learned that? So um, just the way that things obviously work out, um, I found out like at 4.59, must have been the last phone call of the day, um, on a Friday evening, right before a busy weekend and dinner service. Um, oh my God. So I didn't really have time to process it because, you know, five o'clock on a Friday, my mind was, you know, into dinner service and the three weddings we had going on that day. And, you know, um, so, you know, I processed it quick. I made the phone call to my wife. I broke the news to her and it was like, um, you know, it was... I didn't really have time at that time to process it. I'll be honest with you, you know, three days after hearing, you know, the, the diagnosis, um, my youngest was scheduled to be born via C-section. So, oh my goodness. Yes. What so, a convergence yeah, of exactly. things. So I'll be honest with you, it really hit me in the hospital when they're doing the pre-screening and the nurse is going through all the questionnaires and they're like, okay, mom and dad, all healthy, blah, blah, blah. No, no history of cancer. Like they just see our age and they skip right by it. And I'm like, uh, wait, excuse me. Um, actually two days ago. And that's oh. when it really hit. Like I broke down right then and there. It just, oh my I was like, right. I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I have cancer. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't answer yeah. that question now the same way that I used to, you know, the 30 plus other years of my life. Like, Oh, right. you know, no, no, no. You know, like that is now a new box I have to check off. So, that's when it really hit me sitting in that, you know, delivery room and going, you know, okay, <laughs> wow, this is something I now have to deal with, you know, moving forward. So uh, what an emotional time of, of opposite feelings all converging. I mean, there must have been, you know, so much excitement about your new baby coming. And, and um, at the same time, the reality was setting in the shock. Ab- and absolutely. The, every, I touched, oh that day, I touched every emotion possible, you know, um, but um, you know, after after that whole time and getting through it, um, two weeks later, I, I, you know, I had gotten some other opinions, and you know, living on Long Island, there's lots of great hospitals out here and everything, lots of great care. I decided to actually go um, get my surgery and my treatment done at Montefiore in the Bronx because of the type of cancer that I had their specialists were the best in the Northeast, you know? Um, so I wanted the specialist to treat me. So it was a decision that was, you know, both hard to make and rough, but, um, so I had my surgery about two weeks after diagnosis. Um, that was quick. So you didn't have that much time to sit with it. You didn't have that much. And you just had a baby. So you had a baby. Um, and you know, again, they, they, they're talking about surgery and tongue and, and again, I'm a chef, so I'm like, am I going to lose part of my tongue, all of my tongue, my taste buds? Um, yeah. 
But luckily, the the spot was very small. It was you know off to the side and in the back. They took a very small amount of my under tongue, not even like the the top or taste buds or anything. Um, which was great. Everything came back good. They did. Um, I also had um, you know some activity in my lymph nodes on my left side. So they also did um, surgery on my neck at that time as well. And then, um, you know, being in the hospital, you know, with a, with a mouth pretty much that I can't use, um, trying to swallow and eat and drink was rough, but, um, I'll tell you that I knew it was going to be okay on the second day when I took a sip of apple juice and I could taste the sweetness of the apple juice. Oh my oh. God. And, and knew, what was that feeling like? What was oh the my, feeling of being able to taste the sweetness? I mean, bizarre, it was amazing. It was up until that point, it was just really like ice and water. And I had tried the apple juice the day before, but it didn't taste like apple juice to me. So like, I was just so concerned and so worried. Um, you know, like I'm, the, the thoughts that run through your mind, am I going to have to find a new career? Am I going to have to, you know, because um, if I can't taste my food, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to serve. So, um, so again, that tasting that sweetness and then later on that day, tasting the tartness of cranberry juice. I'm not a cranberry juice lover, wow. but that day I turned in to the biggest cranberry <laughs> juice fan in the world. Um, you like, started oh working God, for Ocean flavor. Spray? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh my God, this flavor. You know, then, you know, going through that whole healing and treatment and not being able to eat the foods that I enjoy, um, that give me the comfort that would help me in the healing was definitely difficult. Um, but I like what foods do you think of? Yeah. What, what are your go, what were your go-tos like emotionally? Like what were you thinking that you wanted to have as comfort foods? Um, I wanted like I wanted to test test the you know the boundaries. I wanted spicy. I wanted like flavor. <laughs> I wanted you know curry, curry, anything that would sit there and just oh. explode in my mouth. You know what I mean? Just oh. to give me that like oh. that comfort that everything at the end of the day you know will eventually right. be okay. And I and I got that, and it was amazing. It was you know I was out of the hospital with within a week, um, back to work four days later, doing what I love. Um, and I just, I did not look back. I, I, um, you know, I ran with the Hills. I, I, you know, in the hospital bed, I was writing down ideas. And as soon as I was able to, to do it, I was, I was out there and going, okay, now, you know, now I need to make these ideas, you know, happen. So, so your passion is part of what helped you survive, you know, Absolutely. visualizing the, the foods you love to make and interesting things. And that's so incredible. You know, one thing that really grabs me is that the word taste is like in capital letters, capital bold letters, that you, you needed your taste. You were so afraid of losing your taste. And that's was, so powerful. It was, my, it was my biggest fear. It really was. Again, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, so... Well, you know, right. I feel like, and to correct me if I'm wrong, like, you know, there's the fear of losing your taste because it's your job, which is just this other whole dimension that is added to it. And it's just your way of life as a chef. It's like, this is what I do. Taste is my thing. But like, you know, for people who love food and even for just people who don't necessarily quote unquote love food, like the thought of not, ha- it, it's pleasure, right? It, it like it's really, really is. like food is pleasure. And the th- I would imagine like, 
just the threat of like losing this like substantial amount of pleasure from your life must have been so what a terrible thing to have to face i mean does that seem accurate? no you're you're absolutely right when you say that for sure and it actually sets up the second part to my story um where um that became actually a big hurdle um in my in my in my progress in my treatment so um you know so moving on in my story after you know being cancer free and the scans came back um every six months were looking great i was not looking back i was looking forward and one day i woke up with a like a stiff neck um Went to the chiropractor, worked it out a little bit, but my neck was definitely a little swollen. About two days later, the swelling went down, which was great. But I was left with a, a lump on the opposite side of my neck from, from where my surgery was the previous time. So, you know, having the history that I did, I called the oncologist. We went right in. He did not seem overly concerned because something that size really doesn't pop up overnight the way that it did. Well the biopsy came back positive. Now, what must have happened was when I got that adjustment with the chiropractor, it must have moved something. And thankfully it did because it made it noticeable. There was a tumor there um, the whole time. So literally the very next day I am in surgery. I had zero time wow. to process it the second time, just oh with, with it being in the neck and, and, so many, you know, vital parts, they wanted to go in right away. And, you know, with the grace of God, luckily they did because um, they removed my jugular vein. I was days <gasps> away from having, oh my goodness. I was days away from having a stroke. This tumor was, was, Holy was shit. surrounding my, my jugular vein and was cutting oxygen oh to my, my brain. God. And, and you um, didn't feel anything else? Like, did you not nothing. feel like, I felt, oh so going into it, I felt amazing. I felt great. I hadn't felt any better than I had. Um, now with the first diagnosis and the surgery with everything coming back clean, they decided, you know, with previous case studies and my age and all this, that the surgery was going to be the only treatment necessary. I would not need radiation or chemo that first round. However, since the cancer had spread to an the opposite side of my body and has started to move down from my tongue to my neck. Um, radiation and chemo were in the cards, you know, right after surgery. So, um, you know, having said that and going through it the first time with the surgery, now my surgery the second time was on my neck. So nothing to do with the tongue. I really didn't have any concerns as far as that. And that probably gave me a little bit of a self a, a, a false security as far as that, because well, um, it was those um, treatment, right? You were, you were, it was hopeful. Yeah, so there was treatment. And I, it could be, yeah. I was hopeful. And since it didn't have to do with my tongue, I wasn't concerned with the taste buds and all that. So, right. you know, healing in the hospital was a completely for the second surgery was a completely different experience because I could eat the foods that I loved and craved that, and that made me feel Good. Do you know what I mean? I had people bringing yeah. me things that I was craving from back home. You know, the stuffed like slice what? from Paradise Pizza. Oh, the stuffed oh, <laughs> slice from Paradise Pizza. Paradise was still open back then, but yeah. Oh, my God. Stuffed slice from Paradise Pizza. I made my brother bring me like the first day. Um, oh. Yeah, so it was stuff like that, you know. Um, <laughs> we want to hear more. Uh, what else did you want to have? What else did you want to eat? 
<laughs> oh, I wanted um, I wanted sushi rolls. I wanted the curry again. I wanted tum yum soup from Thai. I wanted you know, mm, um, yum. all that great stuff. And I got it, and it, it helped me in the hospital the second time around. It helped me in the hospital being able to eat the foods that I that I you know my comfort foods um, helped in my. So it was like your intravenous, right? It was like your intravenous. Absolutely. Wow. Ryan, I want to ask you a question. Did you feel like traumatized through this? Did you feel, um, especially at coming back and such a quick trip to another surgery? And did you so, feel a trauma experience? So, um, yeah, this the second time I did because, um, again, my kids were a little bit older this time, so they could process things a little bit more. You know, daddy's not home. And then I came home. I'm trying to hide my scar and, um, you know, I'm just trying not to frighten them and all that kind of stuff. But um, they took it. They took it very well. Um, what did you tell them? I think it's actually an important question because, um, um, you know, what you tell kids and how you talk to them about this is an important thing. What did yeah. you and your wife tell we, them? We just, you know, we were honest with them. We, you know, we said, daddy's a little bit sick right now. He's going to have to go into the hospital, you know. I did not allow them to see me in that state, you know. Um, I did not want them to come visit me there. We did some FaceTime, which was great. Um, we talked every single day, multiple times a day over the phone. So we definitely had our interactions, which was amazing for me. Um, but um, we were just very honest with them and just saying, listen, dad's a little bit sick. He's going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. And my son right, to give him the security. Come- and my son actually started calling me Superman after my first surgery because he's like, Daddy, you're all better. Nothing, nothing can beat you. You're like Superman. Nothing can take you down. Oh, my God. And that stuck, like, in my heart. I got a Superman tattoo, like, three months after. Oh, you know, so, oh like, that's so great. Um, but, oh, um, so no, it, great. it is important. It was important to us to be honest with them and, and not, you know, um, because it's, they, so otherwise, the mystery—if you—if you don't—if you're not direct and you use different kinds of language, it, it, they could get are more scared. You know, yeah. being realistic and telling Absolutely. them the truth Absolutely. in a gentle way is really important, particularly if they ask questions. You know, that's then you want right. to answer their questions. Yeah, right. And my son's definitely a little bit more, you know, intuitive, and so he had the questions, and uh, you know, um, but again, just answering them honest and 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 you know. Um, definitely helped um, weather the storm for the second time when I got sick, you know, being honest the first time with them, um, them being able to see, okay, daddy got through it the first time, we'll do it again, you know, yes. which was, yes. which Super- was Superman. Superman. Yeah, very important. So, oh, um, that was so sweet. So then you had to, after that, you had to get chemo, right, and radiation? I did. So after the surgery, um, we waited about six to eight weeks. And I started my radiation and chemo. Now, one of my um, one of my downfalls, I'll I'll call it, was I had a plan going into treatment, you know. And being a you know stubborn person that I am, I wanted to stick through that plan from day one to day thirty six. Do you know what I mean of 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 treatment? So. It all started off to plan, you know, which was great, but traveling. What was the plan? The plan was, you know, radiation was um, Monday through Friday. I I had morning appointments. I was going, my plan was to zap, uh, zoom into the Bronx, 
do my treatments, uh, come back for afternoon and dinner service if I could, you know. Oh, um, my goodness, go right. Into, uh, yeah, go right into work. You know, and they set you up. They try and tell you everything that you're going to experience and all this and all that. So you, you go through your head and you're like, okay, I did this the first time. I can handle it the second time. Um, it just it doesn't work out that way, unfortunately. You know, it really doesn't. Oh. Um, for In what me, way? what was happening? So yeah. for me, my, my treat, my treatment plan was, um, three very large doses of chemotherapy as opposed to p- putting a port in and almost getting a small dose every day. They wanted to do this because of my age, my relative health, my kidneys were in great shape. Again, most cancer patients are not in their low to mid thirties. Do you know what I mean? So right. they wanted to take a different, more aggressive approach with me, which was, um, definitely the way to go. However, those heavy doses of chemotherapy really hit me hard. You know, the radiation, um, the radiation was tolerable. I had some, um, you know, I had some blisters in my mouth, which were a setback as far as eating or whatever, but the radiation never really messed with my taste buds. Like they said it was going to the chemotherapy on the other hand, definitely did. Um, and it actually turned my love into food into a, a, a struggle, actually. Um, wow. In what way? I was unable to, was unable to eat um, for a very long time. Everything, I actually remember, I was at my best friend Ryan's house. Um, it was the day after my first dose of chemotherapy. And the kids are running around. He's got the grill going. And I ate a gourmet hot dog that was amazing. Amazing. Um, <laughs> And still remember it. Still remember it. Bobby, it was, something, <laughs> it was something once treatment started and my taste buds changed that I strived to get back to was that hot dog. Nothing else was the taste of that hot dog because from that day on, from that day after, nothing, nothing tasted the same to me. Nothing that gave me comfort. Nothing that was like, okay, blindfold me. I know exactly what that is tasted the way that it was supposed to in my mind. And that was very, very hard for me to mentally get over, you know, um, you know, I being a chef and you cook, you know, the way something's supposed to taste, especially the way that you flavor it. And then when you put it in your mouth and it's, and it's not that, you know, or, you know, you go to eat soup and it's not that, um, so what was it? Like, what did it taste? Like when you would eat something, would it just so they, taste they like you, nothing? They tell, you everything, they tell you, you know, everything's going to have that metallic taste, which at first it definitely did. But everything Zara turned rancid to me. It was, you know, all the doctors were like, it's okay. Just you have, you need to just get it down to survive. And I'm trying to explain to them. I go, but the second that it goes down, it comes back up because it's rancid. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, it tastes like, like, just rancid like it shouldn't be eaten um so my body was rejecting the food i was struggling to get it down and my body immediately between being nauseous from the chemotherapy um you know being on all the medications and having empty stomachs and um i just could not hold anything down and it got to a desperate point where um i had a feeding tube put in actually so wow, Ryan, yeah. my goodness, you must have felt so betrayed. It must have been it was hard enough that you had to go through all this, but then to lose that is that is a wonderful yeah. way to put it, Bobby. Betrayed yeah. was um 
was exactly kind of what I felt. Something that was supposed to give me such joy and such, you know, I could handle the physical ailments. Yes, I was tired. Yes, I was nauseous. Yes, I was, you know, achy and all of that. I could handle that. The thing that was supposed to make me feel better was actually making me feel worse. And that, that was hard to come to grips with, you know? Um, you know, it's interesting. Zara and I often talk about on the show about um, how food comforts us. And we talk about different kinds of foods like chicken soup and congee and things like that. And, you know, I hear what you're saying because people who, are, who love food consider food a healing thing. That was it's my, healing that was, for us. That was supposed to be my medicine, you know? Right, um, yeah. right. Oh, and it wow. really was, um, it was tough to handle mentally that, that, you know, I'm not able to sit there and, and eat pretty much, you know? Um, Absolutely. Plus, I would imagine, too, like, you know, food is also the way that people often care for people who are sick. So I would imagine... For like your friends Correct. and I your had family, loved ones trying to you know, oh, what can I make, Ryan? Ryan, what can I make you? You know, and there was, I tried everything. When I tell you, hundreds, probably close to a thousand dollars worth of food, I was ordering anything and everything from every ethnicity to things that I've never had before, just to try to find one item. Just I wanted one item that would just give me that comforting feeling that would be like. Okay, I can, and I, I. And there was I, nothing, huh? Fortunately, I could not find it, and I got to a point where, um, where feeding tube, you know, had to be, uh, had to be put in. What? A so how long did you tragic. have to have that, Ryan? How long did you have the feeding tube for? I had that for about um, three and a half months. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. again, when you have the feeding tube in, you're able to eat as well and drink as much as you possibly can, as well, which is great, um, but. To, I'm sorry. What do you mean by that? I mean, you, you meant you feeding tube was the way you ate, correct? That was the it, it liquid was food. The way, it was the liquid food. It got, uh, but I was also able to, you know, because I could swallow, I could chew. If there was something that I could possibly um, get down, that I could still try. So I was as even though I had the feeding tube in, I was still trying to find that comfort food, that one item that I could sit there and go, okay, this is where I'll get my nutrition from. It just never came. I just had to always do the shakes, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking, it, it sounds like it was like a battle that you were in specifically focused. And the enemy was, you know, this, this not being able to eat that, and it was so such a focus. It sounds like it was really an obsession almost with it. It really, it really, be, it really did become an obsession. It became, yeah. you know, um, because again, that was my fallback. That was my comfort. That was my, if anything was ever wrong, like, okay, open the fridge and take a saute pan out and, you know, make an omelet, anything. Sure. That was, that was my escape. That was my, and when yeah. that betrays you and you have nowhere else really to turn as far as that kind of comfort. Yes, I had my family and my wife, my kids, but that go-to that just, do you know what I mean? That's in the back of yeah. your mind. That's like. You know, um, so did you find a new go-to besides your family? Was there anything else that helped yeah. you? Was there a way to, like, you? yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, food just in a different way, not eating it, you know, doing, um, you know, I wrote about six different menus when I was going through this period. I was, um, you know, I was watching, 
whatever cooking shows that were on at the time. When I was in the hospital getting my IVs, they had three channels, and luckily one of them was the cooking channel. Um, <laughs> so it oh, was, right. you know, it's, there was you were a passionate chef. I definitely Unbelievable. Am. I, I definitely am. <laughs> Again, because that food gives me that comfort, Bobby. It was always there for yeah. me. It was always that like that safety net. And that's that's why when when you know you use that word betrayed, when it betrayed me almost that second time, it was like I was lost. I didn't know, do you know what I mean? How could I get yeah. back to that point? And um, totally. Well, and, I have a question, yeah. right? Um, so interesting, like to kind of keep using the word betrayal, right. Of like something we love and like a lot of times and things and a lot of times in life, things or people betray us and we're able to kind of dismiss them or we want to dismiss them. And a lot of times we don't like in a marriage, maybe there's betrayal and you have, there's love and there's a family. And so you work through it. And in this case, like with food betraying you, obviously you had to work through it somehow. You couldn't just say, well, fuck it. I'm never going to, I'm never talking to you again, food. Like, and I, you know, you probably wanted to get back to that place. So can you tell us a little, little bit about like how you started to heal after that betrayal? Like what was, what were the first steps? Like how did that kind of come into, all fall into place? Um, ex- just, you know, accepting that um, things might be different at this point as far as um, taste and whatever, being able to accept that, okay, if my palate's not 100% there, you know, I needed to pick up on new cues, almost new flavor cues, you know. Um, So, and eventually when the taste did start to come back, it came back like um, in spurts. Like I remember the very first time my taste um, kind of came back. All I tasted was I was I was eating chicken noodle soup. Um, all I tasted was the salt content, which was great to me because up until that point, I it was rancid. So when I put it in my mouth, I'm like, okay, wait, that's salt. I know that flavor. Do you know what oh I mean? Like, like okay. Um, and then it was Find, for, finding your way in the dark. Wow. For, for, for sure. And then it was, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, wait, that goes, that went away. And I'm like, wait, I don't taste the salt anymore. And then in a short period of time, then it was sweet. And it was like, I, chocolate was my, that's what got me back into, oh, right. <laughs> that's what got me back into actually like eating, eating was, was chocolate. Um, the, it was the only thing that, that it was the first thing that did give me comfort back was chocolate. It was, wow. it tasted it probably like, made you a little high too. It, it, <laughs> right. it, it, like, between caffeine and everything. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, it was, um, it was like eye opening that, that, okay, chocolate tastes like chocolate. Maybe I'm on the path to healing here. Maybe we're, you know, getting to the right spot eventually. And, uh, start to have hope. Start to have hope. And then I ate, I ate, um, what was it? It was, um, it was a spicy Thai dish. Forget the name of it that I've had in the past a million times. And normally it gives me a little bit of a, you know, a little sweat going and nothing the, I, no spice whatsoever. So then I started to experiment a little bit more and, you know, go a little bit spicier and, um, still to this day, 
I can tolerate more spicier foods than I really, yeah. Um, Interesting. But with the grace of God, my palate, I would say, is like ninety eight percent back to normal. Oh which is my God! Amazing. Last year, I would have, I really thought that um, that I was gonna have a, a fugazi taste buds from from that point on. But um, it was, you know, that whole healing, that whole, you know. Um, Getting to that, you know, going back to the first part of the story, getting back to that hot dog, you know what I mean? Um, took me almost a year to get back to that taste, but I did it. And it was but you had like, a goal. You I had did, a goal. It's like the hot dog was your goal. Bobby, <laughs> yeah. I, I bought those hot dogs throughout treatment probably about 10 <laughs> times. And throughout treatment, I would eat it and I would take one bite and go, nope, not yet. Huh? Nope, not oh. yet. And that last one. The Ryan one, Augusta taste test. Wow. Like, and that last one, when I took two bites and I'm like, I think oh. we got something going here. You know? Yay. Yay. Oh, that's like <laughs> the most beautiful story. And also, you're a great storyteller. You know oh, what I thanks. mean? Like, not, not everyone's like as good of a story. I mean, you're just a really good storyteller, the way you can tell your own story. It's really beautiful. When you're with people, uh, when you're talking to people you're comfortable with, it's very easy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, also, like, uh, I don't know. There's something that I can just hear in your voice. And, yes, you did tell us that you have three wonderful children and a wife. And But you, even if you hadn't, I would be able to tell. There's something in your demeanor and, like, how you're speaking that there's, like, I don't know, that's, like, in your hero's journey. I can tell that there's something that you are inspired by you know what I mean and is that fair to say that oh, I mean, I'm sure absolutely I mean yeah. you you hit the nail on the head there I mean um you know it's um you know yes you you sit there and you heal and you do get better for yourself but when you have you know those people in your corner and relying on you um it just makes it you know it gives you all the more push and all the more you know um Ryan, would you send us a picture of your family? Absolutely. At some point, we'd love to use that picture because I'd love to see the kids and your beautiful wife. And absolutely, it's just—it's I can't imagine what you all have gone through. Yeah, and that's something. Look back now. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you a a varying question about your emotions, but tell me what you were going to say about your family. um, It's just something that I definitely wanted to touch. It's um, you know the you know everybody thinks about the person who's diagnosed with cancer, let me tell you, the toll that it takes on the immediate loved ones is not spoken enough about. Do you know what I mean? It really isn't. It's, um, you know, my life certainly changed during those periods, but my kids' lives changed during those periods, having babysitters, my wife's life changed, you know, having to sit there. And um, it was very hard for me to accept the feeding tube. So I was very hesitant with doing the feedings and the tube feeding myself because that's to me that's not how I'm supposed to get my nutrition you know what I mean so you know her support and her doing it or you know somebody coming over to watch the kids so we could get through that and um it really is important to keep the other people you know in mind for sure because um the grief and the toll that it takes on them it's different, but it's just as heavy and taxing. Of course Zara, it is. Zara, of course. you can speak to that for sure. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. And I know that from dealing with my dad, but I mean to, you know, I'm sure for your wife having to like, I don't know, you know, look, I think something that we often also don't talk about in the, in the telling of these stories. And I want to know how you feel about it, but like, it's really scary. I mean, I think we can put the, the, the thought of like, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. Of course, I'm going to be the one who beats it. And I bet you probably did feel like that. And I think that's good that we have that. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that, you know, you could die. And that, and your wife knows you could die. And that's fucking scary. It's scary, it's talking scary. about fear, you know, the nature of yeah. fear and what that was like for you. Did you yeah. feel a lot of fear? Oh, of course. And to be honest with you, you know, for for me, you know, I felt the fear like, Personally, on my own end, very briefly, my biggest fear was always my young children. Do you know what I mean? Like having to have them deal with any situation in life without me being in their corner is just like, it's devastating. And it was devastating to think about it. Of course, it crosses your mind. You know what I mean? Like um, you can't go through something that traumatic. You can't go through the surgeries and the treatment without it crossing your mind. Um you know, a, a few times because um, it's definitely in the back of your head for sure. Do you think that you also had, as well as fear, do you think you had anger at any I, time? Like, why me? I, and- had, I had lots of anger, absolutely. I mean, at that time, I was I was 35 years old and all the doctors are, are telling you, this, this doesn't, ha- you know, this doesn't happen to you. I donated um, a lot of tissues and plasmas for them to do research to figure out why a 35 year old man who occasionally smoked, you know, in high school, you know, I have a cigarette with, you know, wasn't an avid smoker. Why somebody in my position is going to get tongue cancer like that, you know? Um, And then in my case, having it shift to the other side and move down was severely rare, like a very rare case where they, they took my case study all over the world and asked for opinions because this, this doesn't happen when they do the surgery the first time on the tongue, that's supposed to really be it. You know, there's, um, and all my other scans were coming back pretty clean, you know, um, obviously there was areas that they couldn't necessarily, um, see 100% good because I had surgery there, you know, so it was, but nothing pointed to the direction that this was going to spread and move. So it's when it so did, wild. it was very alarming. Um, it's really wild. Right. Do you, are you familiar with Grant Schatz? No. The chef. So he's, um, one of like the world's most like kind of renowned chefs. He's the chef, uh, Alinea in Chicago, which is like one of those. Uber oh, fancy actually, yes, I, I do know. Yes. Right. And he at 32 also got stage four tongue and and neck cancer. And they told him that he was going to have to um, that they were going to have to take out his whole tongue and put in muscle from another part of his body. And, you know, he ended up choosing like you did radiation and chemo instead and survived. And it's just, you know, it's wild. It's I I, when I heard that story, I was like, that's a one in a one in a billion story that would never happen to anyone else. And then I don't know, it's so wild that it would happen to you too. I am just, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just like thought of it. It is unbelievable. And just to speak to Bobby's point about anger, like, you know, how did you, 
how did you manage that? How did you manage those feelings of anger? Yeah, how do you did you deal them? with your emotions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first time around, because it was so close to my youngest son's birth, I didn't have time to be angry because it was such other joyful things were going on. Do you know what I mean? It was like, um, you know, and it was, you know, it wasn't real yet at that point. And by the time it got real, I think that the anger phase was going to be over. Now, the second time around, anger was, was very uh, prevalent because, again, I had beaten it. I had gotten over it. I did what I was supposed to do. Um, so then why, why, why again? Why is it haunting me again? Why is it back? Um, you know, so anger the second time um, lasted a little while, you know. My biggest, my biggest fear the second time around was, you know, again, they're doing surgery on your neck. Um, they can only see so much with the imaging until they get in there and see really what's a, a infected and all that kind of stuff. Was I going to have a, a, was I going to lose volume of my neck? Was I going to have like a crater? Was I, you know, so are my kids going to look at me differently? So literally as soon as I came out of it in the recovery room, I asked my wife, I go, is my neck still there? And she goes, of course, oh, yeah. go, you know what I mean? And she goes, no, it looks great. Um, you but- know, Ryan, one of the things, I don't know if you remember this, but when I knew you back then, when you were going with Zara, dating with Zara, um, I worked in hospice and I worked in hospice for 12 years. Absolutely. So, yeah. And um, and now I'm a psychotherapist that specializes in, in grief. And often I have people that come to me when they have a diagnosis or they have illness. But one of the things I always say is that the feelings are not the problem. They're completely understandable. The intensity of anger and sometimes depression and powerlessness and hopelessness and all those things, but it's what we do with the feelings that really matter. So if you could say, like, with the anger that you had, what did you do with that feeling? I mean, how did you, where, where did it go? Because sometimes we can't just have it. We have to do something with it. So what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, this the this. The second time around, my 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 focus went into um, my focus went into my plan, which was trying to stay in work as long as possible. You know, right. could wow. you stay at work? Uh, we didn't actually cover that. Were you able to stay at work through your treatment, or did you have to stop working? So I um, I worked for about the first three weeks of treatment, and then when the chemo um, really started to take its effect, and you know um, really mess with my head as far as nauseousness and, um, being steady on my feet and having enough energy to, you know, to get through the day on your feet all day. Um, after about three weeks, um, it was not really doable, um, as much as I tried. And that was part of the frustration and the anger was, okay, my plan isn't going, you know, according to how I, map this out and that's my biggest like people you know i've been lucky enough to to been asked for advice for you know a few people who've been diagnosed with cancer and that and i tell them whatever plan my biggest advice is whatever plan you have in your head just be adaptable with it you know you have to be adaptable with it because we do we all have like the way that we plan on this you know full unfolding and how it's going to be and um you just don't know how your body's going to react to any sort of treatment or anything. Um, so as long as you're adaptable, as long as you can be adaptable to your plan and not kind of 
you know, you'll get through it. That was my biggest downfall was at first I wasn't adaptable. And wait, what do you mean I can't go to work or I can't do this? That's, that's, that's because, Ryan, it sounds like your determination is one of your greatest strengths. And usually our strengths can also be our weaknesses. So absolutely. your determination was exactly what got you through. But at the same point, it was frustrating because you couldn't follow through sometimes with things because the reality was different. So, Yeah. So, Ryan, at the, when, as we come towards the end of each chat, we always ask everyone the same thing. And that is, if you could give yourself, your younger self at the beginning of this journey you went on with grief, um, some advice, knowing what you know now after having like survived the experience, what would that advice to your younger self be? Um, patience, you know, go attack, attack this with an open mind, you know, uh, as far as, you know, like I said, the a, a one word I would use would be adaptability. You know, you have to be able to adapt from, from what you think, you know, what your, where your road thinks it's going to take you. Just be prepared that it might take a right turn somewhere when you're not expecting it to. But at the end of the day, you'll wind up exactly where you need to be. That's so trusting the beautiful. process. <laughs> yeah, that's so it's beautiful. True, and it's true. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, we say this a lot, but like it's so it sucks that the big lessons you learn in life do not come from like usually graceful and easy things. You know, it typically these like big these big lessons, these big teaching moments come from really painful experiences. And like, mom, you said something the other day that was like, so Oh, I was telling you about there, there is a space between stimulus and response. And that is where our freedom lies. So it means that when something happens to us, whether it's a small T, small trauma, big T, big trauma, or a thought, you know, we have to give it a little space because otherwise we'll react and we'll react, you know, that that's not the best place to work from. But if we give it some space, we have more freedom and more choices. And it sounds like it's the same thing as having faith in the process. It's what you just said, Ryan. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, we have all this fear. And then if we just trust the process, we somehow get to a place of more hope and more faith, you know. It's, it's very true. And like you said earlier, all of those emotions that come with grief and all that, they're normal. It's how you portray them and how you act on them is, is you know, the big, um, the big takeaway from everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I also just want to, since we're here, end on um, a note of asking a, th- a question to the three of us. Um, can everybody please say what their favorite classic Northport, or it could be anywhere in Long Island, really, food is like their their kind of go to comfort food that's very specifically Long Island, or it could be Northport centric. Hmm. Mom, do you want to start? No, you don't want to. Okay, <laughs> no, I can't think of it. <laughs> okay, great. Well, because when you were talking about the stuff slice of paradise, is like we have to talk about this. So I'm gonna. I have two. My first one would be, um, and I'm sure a lot of Long Islanders share this. Um, like a bacon, egg, and cheese with salt, pepper, ketchup, and if you want to get crazy, hash brown from the Northport Deli with one of those styrofoam containers of like half lemonade, half iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> and then my how sec- many did you have of those? <laughs> oh my god, too many. Um, and then my second one. This is fringe. This is a deep cut, you guys. But do you guys remember the Cow Harbor Deli? Is that still there, Rye? 
Um, I don't know if that like, one's still there, to be honest with you. It was right near, like, oh, you know where it is. But they used to have a sandwich in there that was, like, turkey, melted mozzarella, tomato, on garlic bread. <laughs> Which Pretty I love. phenomenal. All right, so to answer your question, I'll go. And before you even said the bacon, egg, and cheese, I had to, like, you know, go to, you know, my roots, which I'd say yeah. was, you know, back in the high school days or whatever, the lumberjack from Northport Deli. Forget <gasps> about it. The lumberjack. What is, can you tell our listeners what's on it? <laughs> it is a breaded chicken cutlet, bacon, lettuce, tomato, mayo on a garlic, um, toasted garlic hero bread. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So good. That is a good sandwich. Chicken salad is pretty dope too. <laughs> yeah, teriyaki chicken salad is very good. So for those of you who don't are not from New York, um, our delis are better than anybody else's delis anywhere. Sure they really are. We delis. have great delis. We yeah. do. Bobby, what's yours? I can't remember food from Northport. I mean, if you ask me Long Island, it I could just tell be you, Long but, Island. That's fine. Well, I mean, to this day, my my very favorite place is South Old Seafood, and um, anything I would go there any time of day. Any day of the week, no matter what was going on, just to eat any of their seafood um, sandwiches or things like that. That's my favorite thing in the whole world. Yeah, a good seafood thing is good, too. And I do want to just mention to our listeners that a fun fact is that Ryan and I met working at a pizza place. We did. (laughs) A crazy pizza place run by a complete sociopath who, like, gave out pills and cocaine like it was his job. Um, But it was, like, a fun... Great place to work in high school. Great place to work in high school. I'm going to make a confession right now that I don't know if I've told anybody, which is that I used to deliver pizzas there. Ryan, you made the pizzas, right? Yes. Okay. I delivered pizzas um, because I was determined to be a badass and still am. And um, sometimes I would steal garlic knots out of the bag and eat them (laughs) on my delivery route. You and every other high school delivery driver out there. (laughs) <laughs> it's so rude. What a rude thing um, to do. But garlic knots are delicious. And Ryan, this was, you know, every episode is lovely and special and we are so appreciative for all our, our guests. But there is something very special about this episode and you're just wonderful. And you're thank you for sharing your story. And I am so sorry that that happened to you. But like, it really seems like you are in a place in your life where you've dealt with it so beautifully. And you shared so beautifully, really. So yes, thank you, thank so, you much. so much for sharing such a vulnerable story. And, you know, your lo- your family is so fortunate to have you. You're yeah, a wonderful man and father and uh, <laughs> amazing chef. You're, you're such a passionate chef. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you having me. And, and I really, you know, want to thank you for letting me share my story because if it could help one person get through anything that they're going through, um, then, then I was very happy to do it. Yeah. I think it will help a lot of people actually. And I think that, I mean, I think all the, that's the goal in this show, you know, is really like disarming the fear and the stigma around not talking about hard things like this, you know? And I think that people go through all kinds of really awful things in life and the more we can just be like hey hey look at me like this really was terrible for me and scary for me and and awful and I I'm here talking about it and it's gonna be okay and I think that does mean so much to people we don't even realize it so thank you for being part of this conversation and we're sending you huge hugs and yeah thank you so much Ray 
Thanks, guys. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select whole food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at Processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.